0: Standing for the reading of Scripture this morning, which you'll find in the Epistle of James, chapter 3, as we continue looking at godly wisdom for life in a new year. James, chapter 3, let us begin with verse 1. Let us hear and attend to the Word of God. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. We all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man. Able also to bridle the whole body. You may be seated. And then I want to read the balance of chapter 3. And then we'll uh, continue in our uh, exposition of scriptures here. But let's pick up with James 3 beginning in verse 3. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. "'Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, "'they are turned by a very small rudder "'wherever the pilot desires. "'Even so, the tongue is a little member "'and boasts great things. "'See how great a forest a little fire kindles. "'And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. "'The tongue is so set among our members "'that it defiles the whole body "'and sets on fire the course of nature "'and is set on fire by hell. "'For every kind of beast and bird... Of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude or the likeness of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessings or blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields salt water and fresh. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthy, uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. We'll end our reading of the Holy Scriptures there this morning. As I said, we're going to continue in uh, James' writing here uh, concerning wisdom. James draws on wisdom literature from the Old Testament. Uh, It's so full uh, and influenced by his writing this uh, epistle or this letter uh, he quotes from Old Testament sources and from wisdom literature. He mentions Job. He mentions prophets. Uh, he uh, expresses phrases and uh, uh, the tone and the concepts that he's dealing with are just so full from the Old Testament wisdom literature. Uh, and so James writes to us about wisdom. And uh, he detail he distills, if you will, the biblical theme of godly wisdom for. Uh, faith living into two questions we looked at the first one last week in chapter 1 verse 5 who acknowledges their lack of wisdom look at verse 5 where he says if any of you lacks wisdom let him ask of God who gives to all liberally generously without reproach without scorning us and it will be given to him and then he goes on to say how we're to do that sincerely in faith and not trying to play mind games with God and then this morning we look at chapter 3 and verse 13 who is wise and understanding among you who desires the wisdom of God? Who desires to understand things as God tells us about them, as God sees through them, as God tells He sees us and, and, and sees our world and our lives differently than the world sees them and what the world says and how the world acts? Now, you may note, as I already mentioned, the backdrop for James' faith exhortations is to New Covenant Christian believers. I want you to understand that. James has been called the most Old Testament of the New Testament writers. But he is writing squarely to those who are Christian believers, himself, I believe, being the the uh, 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 brother of Jesus, a stepbrother from Joseph and Mary having children after Jesus was born by the virgin birth. So I believe Joseph and Mary had other children, and I believe that James is identified as one of the brothers of Jesus. It was an apostle who followed Jesus, called by Jesus, and served in the church and addressed Christian believers. Even those early believers who had Come out of Judaism who recognized that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, the anointed one, the Savior, and became followers of Jesus as the Christ, the anointed one. Many of the first Christian believers were those who came out of Judaism and recognized the new covenant and the fulfillment of Jesus. And I believe James was one of those. And as we see the application that he makes in his writing here, in his letter, he's writing to Christian believers and he talks about our involvement and our relationship to one another within the church, he uses both the term synagogue and church. It's really wonderful. It's a very interesting study uh, in the, the uh, letter of James. The James' backdrop for his exhortation to Christian believers for wisdom is a rich tapestry of Old Testament wisdom books and prophets. And this is epitomized by King Solomon. King Solomon's humility and his prayer for wisdom. It, it, it's legendary. You know about it. When here uh, God endued Solomon to be one of the wisest men in the world. It's still a legend and it's still fantastic. And to know of Solomon's wisdom and how the Lord honored him because Solomon didn't ask for riches or power or vengeance against his enemies or for great holdings and wealth. He asked that God would give him wisdom like a child. He confessed and said, Who am I? And this temple that God had given his father David the instructions for how to build the temple. And he says, This temple can't contain you, you're the God of the universe. He understood it was representational. Great and powerful wisdom of Solomon. And of course, we know about Solomon's ironic failures. It's a puzzle. It's a sad reminder to us that our hope is in the Lord and the power of the Lord, that men will always fail us. People always fail. We struggle with sin. James writes about our struggle with sin as Christian believers. So here is Solomon set before us epitomizing the wise man The great king. And yet what King Solomon could not do, King Jesus can do. And that's what James is writing to us about who are in Christ, in faith. And the wisdom that God gives us through his word. And so we uh, realize that where where did the wisdom of Solomon come from? The source and the cause of King Solomon's wisdom was from above. It was given from God. And that, of course, is what James is saying here as we looked last week in verses 5 through 8 of chapter 1. That godly wisdom comes from above. It is a gift guaranteed by God by His own integrity. God stands behind the promise that He makes that He will give us wisdom. He will give us understanding. He will direct our ways. And I pointed out to you last week that the the language here is very useful. The grammar of the language here in chapter 1 is that we are to receive the wisdom from God. It is from God, it is sourced in Him, and it is given by Him. He is the cause of that wisdom. But he tells us that it must be by continual prayer and sincere faith. That's the the force of the grammar that's used there in chapter 1 when James says if we lack wisdom, we ask of God that we keep on asking. We continually pray. It's not a one-time thing. And I think I mentioned to you last week that maybe there's a caution for us in the life of Solomon about that. Did Solomon come to the point where he stopped continually, regularly, every day asking the Lord? And he was led astray in sin and by his own sinfulness and his own flesh and desires and the wisdom of the world. And there are many examples there that really uh, connect with the warnings that come from wisdom literature and from what James writes to us here. We must continue asking. We must continue seeking the Lord. We must continue cultivating a sincere faith, not being double-minded, not doubting. Uh, I told you that that word double-minded means a a double puffer and that there's actually a, a disorder that they've now identified as hyperventilation anxiety disorder. I just call it throwing a fit. Do you, if not outwardly, do you inwardly sometimes throw a fit with God? You throw a fit huffing and puffing, don't understanding why it's so hard, why things are happening the way, why are you going through troubles? You know what James says? Do you remember what James said at the beginning of chapter 1? Beloved, count it all joy when you fall into various trials and troubles and testings of your faith. That's a part of our growing up in our Christian nurture. It's hard. It's hard to die to yourself. It's hard to die to flesh and count it joy when you're going through hard times. And not blame God. Why have you left me? Why have you let me do Why am I going through this? Why is it so hard? Why does it hurt so much? Those are the wrong things to ask. It is hard. It does hurt. But in sincere faith, we don't ask God reproving and reproaching Him, but rather we ask Him to be with us and to give us strength to get through. How can I serve You, Lord, in this time of of sorrow, in this time of hurt, in this time of uncertainty, in this time of loss, In this time of bewilderment, how can I honor you? Give me strength. How can I testify? The Lord is with me all the way. Every day I continue praying. I continue in sincere faith, not doubting God, not trying to play mind games with God. James is going to say more about that in chapter 3 that we're going to look at this morning. And and I I am going to to divide this morning's message. There's no way I can get through it all. Um, We're going to come back next week and we're going to look and I'll tell you what we're going to do next week. But going on here, we come down to chapter 3. And you'll see that in chapter 3, there's a contradiction between godly wisdom and ungodly wisdom. Wisdom from above, godly wisdom, and wisdom from below, ungodly wisdom. And it's identified by its source and its fruits. Look, if you will, at verses 13 through 18. I, I read the whole context of chapter 3. Let me just read again verses 13 through 18. This is what we're going to be specifically looking at. Who is wise and understanding among you? That's that second question that uh, James asked us about. Do you desire to be wise and understanding? Do you want to be wise with God's wisdom, with with wisdom from above? Do you want to seek understanding? Not that you have a, a, a crystal ball that tells you the future or what everything is going to be, but rather do you have understanding about growing up and trusting God? An understanding of living by faith. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by his good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above. It is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy, full of good fruits without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. A powerful exhortation that we have from uh, James. James is not only warning us against false wisdom and wisdom from below and how it manifests itself in such an ugly way, which we'll talk about, but he's also encouraging us to wisdom which is from above. So make no mistake about it. Godly wisdom is more than just information it's not just getting more information and I think that's a real challenge to us because we live at a time when there is so much information available to us at our fingertips through social media through electronic means uh, we, we just constantly have this at our fingertips immediate information now whether it's valid information or, or useful information or <laughs> authentic information is a whole nother question But we're used to that. That's not what James is talking about here. It's not just more information. It's not immediate information. It's not some kind of secret information system. People try to to look into the Bible and come up with all kinds of secret codes. They want the the secret to life. Look, the Bible is plain. It tells us straight out. It tells us things that we don't want to hear. I struggle with the Bible telling me, with James preaching to me, to count it joy when I go through trials. I don't find that joyful. Shame on me. Shame on me for my flesh. Rather than looking to the Lord and saying, Lord, how can I serve you through this? Be strong with me. Be present with me. Help me get through this in a God-honoring way. And so James says to us, this is not just some kind of secret code that you're going to find here in the Bible. This is about living by faith and trusting God. You see, all wisdom traditions from below, wisdom traditions of men, And wisdom that is from above, that is given to us in the Bible, in all religion and philosophy, depends on a moral dimension for meaning. And that moral dimension connects thought and behaviors. Not just our getting information, but it's how that information informs and directs us in the way that we live. And you can see that very evident in what James is saying here. It's about the way we live. It's what we do with the wisdom from God. That it's true and sincere wisdom that changes the way that we live. We don't live, we don't think, we don't talk like the world, and it's about accountability. So we either submit in in sincere faith to accountability to God, knowing that God sees us through and through. Nothing can be hidden from him. Or people try to play games with God. They try to escape accountability. We call that in the broader uh, discussion ethical dilemmas. Many of the social issues that you see being plied day in and day out through social media are really ethical dilemmas, aren't they? Now the question is, are we going to address those ethical dilemmas by the word of God and the wisdom of God or by the world? Who are we listening to? And it's not always easy. There are conflicted voices and there are challenges to us. But certainly scripture gives us a baseline. James gives us a start here. Now, I think it's interesting to point out that in chapters 1 and 2 of James, James challenges Christian believers about faith and life by the use of paradoxes, those things that seem to be contradictory. Uh, it's contradictory to the, way, the world's way of thinking and acting. And I, I've mentioned one over and over to you this morning. Beloved, count it all joy when you fall into various trials that test your faith in life. That, that seems like a contradiction. How can you be joyful when you're going through a hard time? How can you count it joy when God is testing your patience and proving your faith and revealing to you that He'll never leave you or forsake you though it is hard and though it hurts and though it may cost you in worldly terms? To honor and to love the Lord you may lose reputation. You may lose friends. To honor and serve and love the Lord you may lose a promotion if you don't go along with uh, crooked and dishonest stuff at work or in school If you don't simply go along with the party line of social acceptability uh, of sin. Well, it's okay for people to do this or to live this way. Or come on and be with us because we all just love one another. But you don't love God when you do those things. As the Bible says so. So you see, it may cost us. And that's uncomfortable and that hurts, isn't it? James says, count it joy when you fall into these various testings of your faith. And that seems like a contradiction. So James addresses these contradictions. Another one in chapter 1 is about partiality. Currying favor with those who are rich and powerful. See, that's the way of the world. If you were to go on and read in James, he'll say, look, if somebody rich and powerful comes into your congregation and you give them the best seat and you fall at their feet and you want them to to be uh, notable, and what's your motivation for that? Oh, the rich and the powerful, they can help us. James says, don't be foolish about that. Look at the way of the world. Don't be blinded by thinking you can curry favor with the rich and the powerful and not be corrupted by it. Now, someone who has wealth is not necessarily corrupted. Wealth doesn't corrupt you. Sin corrupts you. But many people are corrupted by the desire for wealth. Christian believers are tested and tempted Many Christian believers think if they just had more wealth, they would be a better Christian. Having more wealth will not make you a better Christian. There's actually warning against that very thing. James, if you want to read the book of James, I've been encouraging you to read the book of James. James says, don't desire to be wealthy. There are many trials and tests and dangers and pitfalls that come to the wealthy. Can you be content with the wealth of God's love? Oh, Isn't that the challenge? Can I be content with the wealth of the riches of God in Christ Jesus that God loves me? That's what James is writing about. But what's interesting is in chapter 3 and following, James drops the paradoxes and he hits face on, he hits head on sinful contradictions that face us in our Christian life. Sinful contradictions. James says, out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. That's a contradiction. Out of the same mouth, blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. It's a contradiction. It's a sinful contradiction. He goes on to say, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. You see, that's a contradiction. When you're harboring in your heart sinful, bitter envy against others, resentment, and you're seeking how you can uh, either get revenge or how you can outdo them or how you can, can show them up by boasting arrogance, James says that's deception. That's a lie. You're lying in the face of God against the truth. You think God doesn't see that? Come on. How foolish can you be? think God doesn't see that so don't mistake godly wisdom for magic what I mean by that is some kind of incantation of words with supernatural powers like a spell or a charm over in chapter 4 James says uh, you shouldn't say uh, we're going to go into um, a town this year we're going to work and we're going to live there and we're going to make a profit he says you should say if God wills we'll go do this or that now some people take that as some kind of magic spell If we just preface everything that we want to do with, if God wills. But we think by doing that, silly, foolish games, that we can validate what is in our heart. James goes on to say, this is where wars come from. This is where fights come from. From your conflict over wanting and desiring ungodly things. And so, James is warning us here that look, the wisdom that comes from God is not some kind of special, secret magic spell that you can just say, if I say the name of Jesus over it, then that guarantees it for me. When we have the Lord's Supper this morning, I'll use the words of institution that Jesus used. In doing that, it's not a magic spell. That that bread doesn't turn into something different, the bread doesn't turn into the body of Jesus. When Jesus said, This is my body. That bread represents the greater truth of Jesus' incarnation, of Jesus the God-man, and all that goes along with that. So it's not a magic spell. It's words of institution identifying for us what is greater than this bread, and that is by faith we have a living union with Jesus. Jesus is more real to us by faith than this bread is to all of our senses, which James also talks about. Wisdom from below is sensual. It's just limited to human senses. What we can see, what we can hear, human experience, what we can taste. And I've told you many times, isn't it wonderful? When does this bread really become most intimate and integral to our body? When it passes out of our senses. When it's broken down in our digestive system. And from that bread that was in our digestive system, it goes through all that wonderful order that God has created to give us life that by eating bread, our body is sustained. It goes into all of our body. Isn't that wonderful? Well, Scripture is saying faith is far more amazing than that. Jesus is more real to you by faith than these elements of bread or the cup of juice or wine are to your physical senses. So you see, this wisdom that James is writing to us about that is from the Bible, the Word of God, It's not magic. It's not some kind of magic spell or incantation. But godly wisdom from above is supernatural. It's not magic, but it is supernatural. You know what that means? It doesn't come by natural means. You don't have it by your natural intellect. You don't get it from your uh, experiences, from your senses, from what you have collectively experienced in the world. That's not where you get wisdom. That's the way the world tries to sort out wisdom. But godly wisdom is from above. It is indeed supernatural. It is a gift from God. It is not of natural means or order. So for the Christian believer, wisdom from above is revealed by the word of God. That's why we say this is the word of God. It's not the word of men. That's where we start. That God has revealed his word to us. He tells us what is wise. He tells us what is godly. He tells us what is approved. He tells us what is disapproved. I told you long ago I've tried to make this association in my own mind of not using so much the terms good or bad. Now, those terms are used in Scripture. But before I use the term good or bad, I've tried to to go back a step and think godly or ungodly. And how do I know what's godly or ungodly? I know from Scripture. Scripture's not an encyclopedia. I can't just uh, look for my particular... uh, article or my particular uh, alphabetical listing of what I want to deal with is this sin. Let's look up under the letter whatever. That's not the way the Bible works. The Bible's not encyclopedic in that way, but the Bible is universal in its truth. It's timeless theological truth. Timeless truth about God, about godly wisdom that is supernatural, that comes from him, that isn't gained by the ways of the world or the flesh or the devil. James says that specifically. So, godly wisdom is supernatural. It comes from God by his means. For Christian believers, wisdom from above is revealed by the word of God in the Holy Scriptures, witnessed to conscience by the Holy Spirit. That's another aspect of this the work of the Holy Spirit. Do you ever think about when we sang the doxology, a Holy Ghost? That was an old word for spirit. Now, we're not talking about ghosts or phantasms or all the Hollywood and human imagination about the spirit world. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about that which is beyond this world. The Holy Spirit is God. And yet we're told the Holy Spirit indwells believers in a great and wonderful mystery. It's supernatural. It is beyond natural means. So we're not just talking about uh, learning and having improved intellect here. You can know all about the Bible. You can have all kinds of facts and information about the Bible. But that's not the wisdom that is from above. It is the work of the Holy Spirit that is supernatural by conscience, convincing us that the Word of God is true. And the Bible uses terms like opening our eyes, the eyes of our faith. You see, many people can read the words of the Bible. Many people can read the words of this scripture. But do you have the eyes of faith that have been opened by the power of the Holy Spirit teaching and convincing you this is the word of God and understanding what it means. So the Holy Spirit convinces us from the word of God about godly wise living as James says, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. So I am exhorting you to do what the Bible says to be doers of the word now, we're just going to give a quick review here of, verses, of these verses and come back to it next week, and I'll tell you what we're going to do. But if you look at verse 13, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct, by good behavior, by good lifestyle, that his works, what he's doing, his behavior, are done in meekness of wisdom. Now, James is not writing about works for salvation here. James is writing about the outworking of our faith. And that's been clarified back in chapters 1 and 2. So who is wise and understanding among you? Who has God's wisdom from above? This shows, this is displayed by good and approved behavior. Approved by whom? Approved by God. (laughs) God approves your behavior, that your works, your behavior, are done in meekness of wisdom. So he tells us that godly wisdom displays meekness. This word meekness is really important. Uh, James has referenced a, a, an illustration about this back up in verse 3 of chapter 3. He says, indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that, we, uh, that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. You know what James is talking about, the meekness of wisdom? You've got God's bridle. God's bit is in your mouth, and God is, the Holy Spirit is turning you the way you should go. Uh, the old Wranglers, I love Western culture, and when I mean Western culture, I'm cowboy culture. Okay, I love cowboy culture, uh, not not the ungodly part of it, but just wise ability of human wisdom about life and living self-sufficiently and that kind of thing. And old Wranglers talked about meeking a horse, and the wonderful thing here was about not breaking the horse's spirit. They wanted a spirited animal. They wanted an animal that could be controlled. And that's what James is talking about. Our spirit is not broken. Broken down, given up, despondent and uh, depressed and throwing our hands up and saying, I'm finished. I can't live this way. It's too hard. God wants too much. No, it's being meek is to have the control of the Holy Spirit guiding your life. And the strength and spirit of God's presence to get you through those hard things that James writes about. So he says, we we show in our good lifestyle that we are living under the control of the Holy Spirit. And he tells us what that is not. (laughs) Okay, Verses 14 and following, he says, this is what is ungodly. Look at verse 14. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. See, ungodly wisdom contradicts the truth of Scripture by boasting and lying while seething with bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart. Now, this word, this idea of seething means like cooking up a recipe. And what James says is ungodly here is this bitter envy and self-seeking are like a recipe that is simmering that's cooking over and over, boiling over in your heart. And if that's in your heart, he says, don't lie against God's truth. God sees it. Are you that foolish that you think God doesn't see how you're cooking up that recipe of envy and self-seeking? That's ungodly. That's sinful. That's from below. Look at verse 15. This wisdom does not descend from above. It is earthly, sensual, and demonic. So here, the ungodly wisdom is not from the Holy Spirit. It's from the counterfeit trinity. You've seen this before in Scripture. The world, the flesh, and the devil. It is earthly, he says. It's earthbound. It's the way the world thinks. Is that where you're getting your cues? Is that how you think you will live your life? Do you think that's what's going to get you through? That you think and follow what the world says you should do? You've all heard this before. Uh, According to uh, Jesus' teaching, it's been called the golden rule. Do to others, treat others the way you would want them to treat you. We've all heard that, haven't we? It's even celebrated in, in popular culture to some degree. Treat others, do unto others the way you would want them to do to you. But you know what the world says? And you've heard this too. Do unto others before they do unto you. You get them before they get you. That's the way the world thinks, see? That's wisdom from below. That's worldly. It's worldly. And James says it's sensual. Now, interestingly, the word here, sensual, means uh, soul self. It means it's focused on self. It's the word for soul. Psychological. And he says that the wisdom from below focuses on self. It's all about me. It's self-focused. And I know that you constantly hear that in the world, it's all about you. You know, you make up your own reality. You're told that you should be good to others, but only because that makes you better. That only makes you feel better. That only makes you more powerful or whatever. So that's the way the world thinks. It's sensual. It's limited to your physical senses and experiences. Or the collective experiences of others. Oh, this is how we figure out wisdom. This is what everybody thinks. I know, none of us have ever said to our parents, everybody else is doing it. That's the way of the world. Of what the world learns by their physical senses and intellect and experience collectively telling you, oh, everybody accepts this. If you don't accept this, you're mean. You're a hateful person. If you accept the Word of God and God's warnings and wisdom and insight and the world says that you are being a hateful person and a mean person, you've got to figure out who you're going to listen to. Because God's wisdom comes from above. It's not limited to the earth and to the self. And then James goes on to say it's not only earthly and sensual or, or soul-focused, self-focused, he says it is also demonic. That's a powerful thing that James says here. In other words, James says the way that we listen and what we hear from the world is connected to the spirit world. What do the demons and the devil want? They want to overthrow God. They are rebels. They're at war with God. Do you know that? Do you know in that spiritual warfare the devil and the demons are God's enemies. And James is saying the wisdom from the world and the world's way of thinking is influenced by the rebellion of the devil and the demons of the reality of sin and it is focused on self. So James is simply reflecting here on what the Bible teaches from Genesis on about the effects of sin on the world and in the world in which we live. He goes on then in verse 16, for where envy and self-seeking exist, he's already mentioned envy and self-seeking, that that boiling pot of sin. He says, confusion and every evil thing are there. So ungodly wisdom by bitter envy and selfish ambition, James says, works its way out. You see, that pot boils over. Ever been cooking something on the stove? and it's simmering and it's boiling, but then it begins to cook and boil so much that it can't contain it. It boils over and burns on the stovetop. Well, that's what James is saying here, that ungodly wisdom and bitter envy and self selfish ambition that's been seething and boiling and cooking and simmering inside, it eventually boils over and it promotes disorder or chaos or troublemaking. He says this sin boils over into troublemaking and And he says uh, evil things, all kinds of evil things. Let me give you a little more description of this phrase, rotten pragmatism. He says it boils over into a rotten, a corrupted pragmatism. That is that idea that we get our way no matter what we do. Pragmatic, whatever works. I'll get my way no matter what it takes. Don't you hear the world in that? (laughs) And so James gives us this description. It's very expressive. I don't think we can miss his point. So this is how sin works its way out. It causes trouble, disorder, and chaos. And it's a rotten pragmatism that back in chapter 1 and verse 8, James said is a double-minded person someone who's trying to play all the angles, someone who's considering every contingency, someone says that the end that I want justifies whatever it takes to get there. Rotten pragmatism. That's the way of the world. And it stinks like death because that's what it is. Well, then James goes to verse 17. And this is where I'm going to... uh, give you an explanation for what we're going to do next week. You can see in your study notes I've given you uh, this godly wisdom that comes from above through the Holy Spirit and the Holy Scriptures. Um, You can see that James' list here mirrors what Jesus taught in the uh, Beatitudes and what Paul writes as the fruit of the Spirit. Look at what he says in verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above, that comes from God, God who gives it to us uh, generously by promise, And without reproaching us, God is glad, God is delighted that we want his wisdom. And he tells us, this is what it's characterized, different in contradiction to the world. The wisdom that comes from God is pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, and without hypocrisy. What a powerful list that is. As I said, it goes along with Jesus' Beatitudes and with Paul's Fruit of the Spirit. Now, in your study notes, I've given you uh, um, some uh, notes about what these words mean. And then I've also gone and I've found a proverb in the book of Proverbs, one of the wisdom books in the Bible, uh, and given you uh, an example of where the book of Proverbs applies what it means to be pure. The wisdom that is from above is first pure. Well, you can see the word pure means clean or chaste or it's like... uh, uh, a glass where all the the um, dirt has been washed off of it, and you can see through it, like your car windshield or not. <laughs> but you get the idea there, okay something that has been cleaned. And so James is saying that wisdom from above is clean. you can see through it it's it's not hidden it's not deceptive. Well, here is a proverb, just a, one example there are many, but one example uh, is from proverbs fifteen twenty six the thoughts of the wicked are an abomination. I mean, isn't that the tone of what James has been saying about wisdom from below? It's abominable. It's abomination to the Lord. But the words of the pure are pleasant. So here's a wonderful example for us to think about. If God's wisdom is pure, it affects then even our words. For our words to be pure... To be clean, not to be deceptive, and not to be wickedly intended. That's why James says, can any man control their tongue? Can anybody control their words? Well, what I'm going to do is come back. You know, as I, as I did this and I was thinking afterward, after I uh, kind of finished up my notes and all, I thought, you know what? I missed. Proverbs also gives us many examples of ungodly wisdom. A wisdom from below. The very things that James has been saying here, Proverbs warns us about. And so next week I'm going to go back and I'm going to give you some examples of ungodly wisdom from below that we're warned about in the book of Proverbs along with the Proverbs that example to us what wisdom from above is that's pure and peaceable and gentle and so forth. The, ones, the notes that I have here... You can look at those notes. I would encourage you to read the book of James. You you get a flavor for how James is drawing so much on wisdom literature from the Bible. And then if you want to look at these attributes that James gives of wisdom from above, along with the example of Proverbs, please do that. It's a good thing to study, to study the Word of God, to let it dwell richly in your heart and mind. But then I want to add to this the contradiction that I mentioned by looking at examples from the book of Proverbs about ungodly wisdom. And so I hope that will be beneficial and useful to us to continue in this new year wanting godly wisdom by which we can live in faith to the Lord. Now I mentioned to you that in this Lord's Supper, these are not magic words that we, that we use when, when we identify the elements that Jesus gave us, remember that he instituted this Lord's Supper after the last Passover that he celebrated with his uh, apostles. And then the Apostle Paul tells us that we're to continue it within the church until Jesus comes. So this Lord's Supper is for all who have identified with the Lord Jesus in baptism.